Do you have trouble seeing up close or far away? How about at night? I know I do. Go check out Design for Vision and Sunglass Central. They are the premier eye care center for all eyeglasses, sunglasses, and contact lenses in southeastern PA. Whether it is the quality eyeglasses, sunglasses, or contacts that you're looking for, their styles represent the latest in fashionable but affordable eyewear. Not only do they offer a wide selection of non-prescription brands, but they offer prescription lenses fabrication. Whether it's in-store or online, they carry all major brands such as Oakley, Dolce & Gabbana, Coach, Michael Kors, Ray-Ban, Maui Jim, Wiley X, and many more. With over 50 years of experience, Design for Vision and Sunglass Central are the best in fabrication, selection, and fitting of designer and specialty glasses. Design for Vision has convenient locations in Morrisville, Levittown, New Hope, Newtown, and Jameson. Sunglass Central can be found at the New Hope, Newtown, and Jameson locations. That's designforvision.com and sunglasscentral.net. This is Chet with Flow Racing. You're listening to the Four Wide Salute Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Four Wide Salute Podcast, presented by Line Decker Racing Engines. Head on over to Facebook, pop J Line Decker Racing Engines into your search bar, and go see what Jason's got going on. Couple of breaking news items: Extreme Outlaw Midget Series and Power Eye have created the Extreme Outlaw Power Eye Challenge Series. 11 co-sanctioned races, a separate points deal tallied up, $2,500 to the champion beginning April 14th and 15th in just two short weeks at Federated Auto Parts Raceway at I-55, better known as Peevely. I love seeing two completely different sanctioned bodies coming together to create this co-sanctioning, uh, multi-event, little mini-series, it's awesome that they're playing nice together, cooperating. I wish other divisions and other series would take note of this. You can build something beautiful here. Short Track Super Series has found its title sponsor for the Elite Series in Ollie's Bargain Outlet. The retailer also extended its partnership with the Short Track Super Series Cajun region as well. So hats off to all parties involved there. All-Star Circuit of Champions have made a statement in regards to the new Hoosier tires. As you guys have seen, Hoosier did come out with new tires for the sprint cars. You can flip them in either direction. They're pretty even across the way that they're designed. Well, there's been a lot of conversation regarding disposing of the old tires and when to bring in the new tires and guys already purchased a lot of old tires and they want to be able to use them. It's a lot of wasted money, if not, and so on and so on. All stars have come up with this concept here to create a cost friendly transition for teams. 
the series will permit the old H-series left rear tires, which are the H-12s or the H-15s, in addition to the new D-series through the May 21st event at Weed Sports Speedway. So or till from now through May 21st, they can run either the new or the old tires on the left rear. Now the right rear tires are a different story that you must run the new D-series tire on the right rear going forward from this point. So although you may have to buy new right rears, you can still use your old ones on the left side through the next two months. So hats off to them for coming up with some way to, again, make it cost friendly. Following the Saturday day show at Port Royal Speedway, multiple incidents occurred. I really thought it was an April Fool's joke. Unfortunately, it was not. In no relation to each other as well. Mike Wagner's racing hauler was struck and involved in an accident which caused the rig to jackknife off the road. Everyone was okay as far as their health and safety were concerned. I'm not too sure what's going on with the hauler, if anything was damaged to the extent that they have to replace it, but there were photos that did pop up on social media shortly after the show was over of the rig off the road and jackknife. And in a more horrifying side of things, again, completely unrelated to each other, Andrew Yoder's racing hauler caught fire. Andrew, a very accomplished limited late model driver, now venturing into super late stuff. A photo popped up on social media once again shortly after the races were over. A picture that was taken from the car's vantage point, so his race car, on the side of the road. And if you look down beyond to the right-hand side, you'll see the hauler is engulfed in flames. Andrew rushed into the hauler while it was on fire, from what I understand. I wasn't there. I can't speak from experience here, going off of multiple reports that were made public. He went in to save the race car, making sure that they pulled it out or that he drove it out of the hauler all while it was engulfed in flames. So again, many photos were taken while the hauler continued to burn to the ground. Someone did set up a GoFundMe page to help the Yoder team. All their brand new merchandise was in the hauler and burned to the ground. All of their tools, tires, you name it, it was in there with the exception of people and the race car itself. There was some burnt damage on the nose of the front of the car. Again, that stuff can be replaced. Thankfully, no one was injured or perished in this incident. If you head on over to the GoFundMe website and search Andrew Yoder, you will see the first item that comes up is a photo of the burning hauler. Multiple people have donated at this point. As of the recording of this intro, there were over $9,300 donated to the 15000 goal that was set. Multiple sprint car folks, multiple super late model drivers, his competitors have donated. 
and other areas of motorsports have also contributed as well. I hope they were able to rebound from this. Hopefully they can get themselves, you know, in a position where they can go out and compete without having to be concerned about where the supplies are coming from at this point, the tools, the tires, the merchandise, all that that comes with it. So again, nobody was injured as far as I am aware in either of these incidents, but what a wonky Saturday it really was. And last but not least, High Limit Sprint Car Series just moments ago have released the 25 drivers they are quoting as the high rollers that have signed on to run the full High Limit Series this year. And those names in alphabetical order by last name, so this just making sure this, this is the order they were provided. Rico Abreu, Bill Balog, Alex Bowman, Brian Brown, Paulie Cola Giovanni, Sunshine Tyler Courtney, Danny Dietrich. Remember, Danny's going to be running a uh, Randy Gas car. Corey Eliason, Riley Goodnow, Sam Hayfruitie Jr., Blake Hahn, Justin Henderson, Buddy Kofoid, Kyle Larson, of course, Anthony Macri, Brent Marks, Connor Morrell, Justin Peck. Parker Price Miller, Chase Randall, Aaron Reutzel, Justin Sanders, Hunter Schoenberg, Dylan Westbrook, and Dusty Zomer. I look at this list, and the first thing I can see is there's a bunch of guys who run All-Stars on here, which is good. They allow their guys to go compete wherever they feel necessary. I think this is very diverse. I think there's a lot of talent on here, a lot of wins um championships multiple levels of skill and experience just using grandview speedway and bridgeport motorsports park as reference here of course i'm in the east i look at names like brian brown who may have experience at grandview don't think bridgeport if so it's minimal at best at grandview you look at guys like O'Reilly Goodno, I don't think has ran at either track. Sam Hayford's heap, it's been a while if he has. Blake Hahn, I don't believe has. Chase Randall, I don't believe has. Chase Randall probably ran both those tracks in a midget, but not in a wing sprint car. Justin Sanders, I don't believe has. Dylan Westbrook may not. Dusty Zomer, again, it may have been some time since he has. But then there's guys like Rico who have won at Grandview. Alex Bowman has ran at Bridgeport. Pauly Cola Giovanni, of course, being from New York, has definitely been to maybe both of these tracks. Sunshine, of course, has ran both. Danny Dietrich's from the area. Kofoy's been on a tear as of late. Multiple top fives. Larson, of course, dominant. Wins at Grandview for sure. Macri, Brent Marks from the area, they've ran both. Justin Peck, based out of Lancaster here in PA, he's been to both. Reutzel ran years with the All-Stars, he's been to at least Grandview. So there's definitely a diverse class here of cars, and this is not limited to that. So when they come into town, you're going to get a lot of guys from the posse that are going to join. You may get some other random guys who were just out doing whatever it is they please. So seeing right now 
that there's 25 guys that are locked in to show up, that's good for any track they're going to. You know you're going to at least have a full field to run heat races and a full feature, not cutting anyone short. So this is a great basis to start off of. Think about it. If the Outlaws or All-Stars or Midgets or USAC Sprints or Late Models, if they're coming to your track and they can guarantee you 25 cars are touring with the series, that's incredible. I was thrilled when I saw Super Dirt Car had 19 last year that were guaranteed. 25 is insane. Not even the world about all late models, which had a ton of guys commit this year. They don't have 20. So 25, huge number. Can't wait to see how this series rolls out this year. A lot of interesting things going on, and I think they're going to put on a show. So stay tuned for more uh, for what High Limit has to offer. On to our results. We're going to go all the way to Friday night. Starting off with Super Dirt Car, Rumble in the Hills, Atomic Speedway in Ohio. Whole weekend canceled due to weather. And yes, once again, it's a theme. Lucas Oil ASCS, Jackson Motor Speedway in Mississippi. Whole weekend canceled due to weather. World of Outlaw Late Models and Extreme Outlaw Midgets. For the Illini 100 weekend at Farmer City Raceway in Illinois, whole weekend canceled due to weather. Now, some things did race Friday night. World of Outlaw Sprints, Texas Outlaw Nationals, Devil's Bowl Speedway in Texas, 10,000 to win. Brad Sweet once again getting it done, this time over Brent Marks, Jacob Allen, David Gravel, and Buddy Kofoid. Lucas Oil MLRA. 10th Annual MLRA Spring Nationals Lucas Oil Speedway in Missouri, 5,000 to win. Ricky Thornton Jr. picking up the win over Bobby Pierce, Jonathan Davenport, Tanner English, and Dylan McCowan running out the top five. Schaefer's Spring Nationals, Jimmy Thomas Memorial East Alabama Motor Speedway, of course in Alabama, $10,053 to win. Brandon Overton picking up the win over Ashton Winger, Carson Ferguson, Sam Seawright, and Dalton Cook were your top five. A lot of late model guys pounced on the opportunity to race after seeing the Outlaws cancel way ahead of time. That's how Lucas Oil MLRA ended up with quite a deep field. A lot of guys bounced on that opportunity to go race. In local action, US 13 Delaware International Speedway, the Jake Marine Memorial, $8,500 to the winner. Matt Shepard picking up the win on the last lap, passing runner-up Mike Guler for the win. Jordan Watson rounded out the podium with Danny Buck and Alex Jankowski rounding out the top five. 602 Crate Sportsmen were also in action with Joe Toth picking up the win. Williams Grove Speedway came out, I believe it was Thursday, that they were dropping the 358 Modifieds from the event due to lack of cars is what I'm going to assume. 
They posted that they spoke to numerous teams and felt it was necessary to bag the division. They then increased the sprint car winner's purse to 7000 to win and then ended up canceling the entire show due to weather. So, in the end, I don't know anyone's feelings were hurt. They were going to rain out anyway. On to Saturday. USAC Sprints, Lawrenceburg Speedway, and Indiana 5000 to win, canceled due to weather. World of Outlaw Sprints, Texas Outlaw Nationals, once again, Devil's Bowl Speedway in Texas, 20,000 to win the finale. James McFadden picking up the win over Buddy Kofoid, Carson Macedo, David Gravel, and Brad Sweet were your top five. Lucas Oil MLRA, 10th Annual MLRA Spring Nationals. Lucas Oil Speedway in Missouri, 10,000 to win the finale. No surprise here, Jonathan Davenport in victory lane over Chad Simpson, Garrett Alberson, Bobby Pierce, and Logan Martin rounding out the top five. On to the local side of things. New Egypt Speedway Cabin Fever 40 rained out. Nasty, nasty weather rolled through Saturday night. Grandview Speedway, Bruce Rogers Memorial Moneymaker rained out as well. They will be making that up this coming Saturday. New Egypt Speedway, I believe we have bagged the Cabin Fever 40, and we'll just move on to the correct program that was originally scheduled for this weekend. Lincoln Speedway tried to run. They tried to beat out the rain. Did not happen. They ended up raining out as well. Port Royal Speedway, on the other hand, as I mentioned in the breaking news segment, did run. They moved up their start time considerably. I believe heat in the motor was right before 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and they hustled to get their show in. And it was a really good show, especially in the 410s. Lucas Wolf with a late restart pass for the lead, picking up the win over Danny Dietrich, Gerard McIntyre, Anthony Macri, and Logan Wagner rounding out the top five. In super late model action, Drake Troutman picking up his first career Port Royal Speedway win over Dylan Yoder, Greg Satterley, Rick Eckert, and Trevor Feathers rounding out the top five. And a limited late model action, Devin Hart was your winner. On to today, Bridgeport Motorsports Park's Ron Faison Memorial did get rained out from Saturday. Today was the invasion of the posse scheduled, and that rained out as well. Bedford Speedway season opener is currently in action. We'll have those results for you next week. On to our upcoming events, Short Track Super Series Elite. Saturday, Hard Clay Open Orange County Fair Speedway in New York, 12,000 to win. That will be on Flow Racing. World of Outlaw Sprints, Friday, Osborne Sprint Car Showdown, US 36 Raceway in Missouri. Saturday, Jason Johnson Classic, 81 Speedway in Kansas. Those would be on Dirt Vision. All-Stars getting underway with their points this upcoming weekend, Friday and Saturday, Attica Raceway Park in Ohio. Lucas Oil ASCS will try once again 
This time they are at Super B Speedway in Louisiana on Friday and Saturday. That will be on Flow Racing as well. Kyle Larson presents Flow Racing Late Model Challenge Thursday night. Volunteer Speedway in Tennessee. 20,000 to win. Kyle Busch will be in action with a late model. Big Diamond Speedway here in the East. We will kick off our season opener on Friday night with the 51st annual season opener. Now titled the Thaw Brawl. You can thank yours truly for that. $4,051 to the winner. And those are your upcoming events. Those were your results. As always, thank you to all of our followers and subscribers. Like and share the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Smash the five-star rating button on all the podcast platforms. And a big thank you to Kenny Bruce and Bill Brown and Company for the support. On to this week's episode. The Buffalo Bills loving guy himself, Ryan Soucy, one of Bicknell's resident workers, as we get into, joins the show. I got a chance to meet Ryan when I went up to Bicknell the other year with Gary Butler. And Ryan's a pretty cool dude. Very cool dude. Um, get into some of his recent news that broke on his motorsports page. We will get into that pretty quickly in this episode, but hope you guys enjoy it. Ryan runs out there at Ransomville at Merrittville, pretty close to the Canadian border. And um, he's been around the block a little bit. Also dive into his new career as a race director for go-karts. Next week, bring in a new member to the Big Block family. I'll let you guys ponder who that may be, but it's going to be another great episode. And that's it. Till next time. Enjoy the show. Are you looking to make your mark in the construction world? Join the growing crew at Pioneer Pole Buildings. Does switching up your routine interest you? Look no further than Pioneer Pole Buildings. Pioneer Pole Buildings travels to seven states on a regular basis and returns home most evenings. Would you like to be paid travel time? and extra money when you do have to stay overnight? They have that covered too. They have full-time positions on their crews constructing pole barns. Pioneer also completes re-roofs, additions, insulation and interior liner, as well as custom builds. Pioneer Pole Buildings is looking for carpenters based out of the Schuylkill Haven, Reinholds, Nutripoli, and Upper Black Eddy areas. You can contact Pioneer Pole Buildings through their Facebook page or on the web at ppb1.com or via telephone at 1-800-448-2505 or you can contact Jess directly at 570-739-0078 extension 132. Pioneer Pole Buildings could be your future. On this week's episode of the Four Wide Slew Podcast, I have with me the jack of all trades at Bicknell Racing Products on the U.S. side and one of Ransomville's finest modified drivers, Ryan Susie. Man, what's uh, what's been going on in the offseason? I see you've been a little busy. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, the offseason, 
we don't really have much much of one anymore um with all the racing down south and everything but uh, on my own end obviously with the midgets indoors it kind of kills any real downtime we have because we spend you know december november december prepping the car and then racing in january you know a couple weekends a year or a couple weekends during the month so wasn't much of an off season this year um race cars are going together slowly but surely um definitely not as far ahead as we'd like to be but uh they'll, they'll be there get ready uh, i think merrillville's are gonna be our first race in april 22nd or so so less than a month away uh they're not far from being being there so just getting uh race cars ready um my wife's actually you know if we're expecting her first child here and then september we just found that out you know a month or so ago so that's pretty exciting uh something we've been trying for for quite a while so we got that going um other than that just uh living the american dream as i say yeah and uh the expecting of the newborn is what i was more referring to as being busy in the off season and congratulations to you and your wife of course and um man tqs how did you get yourself started with racing tqs and the indoor stuff um so actually i I raced go-karts indoors i raced go-karts for a long time um, before i started big cars and indoors i wouldn't say was my specialty but we were pretty good at it um you know, raced a lot Niagara Falls Convention Center back when that was still a thing. And um, actually, when they first started doing the shows down south, Greensboro, King of the Concrete, which is one of the was one of the bigger indoor shows. We actually one of the first uh, New York and this area teams to go down there and just did a lot of did a lot of indoor racing when I was younger. And uh, when I got into big cars, one thing led to another. I ended up uh, 2012, I think, back uh running for Mel Rab, one of our local TQ guys. Um, so we did that for, I think, for a year and a half with Mel. And then I got hooked up with Bill Pippard and Mark Laffler. And I drove for those guys for a couple of years. And then um, recently, a couple of years, took, kind of took a couple of years off when we got married and bought a house and money wasn't as good. Um, it's easy to come by. So, it's you know, indoor racing is expensive. It's uh, six, seven hours to, to all the shows for us. So hotel bills and you know pit passes and stuff get kind of expensive so took a couple years off and one of my good buddies Derek Bordenhagen who pretty much went to I think my first show for Mel back in 2012 and most of the shows since uh decided he got the itch he wanted to be a car owner so he bought a car and asked me if I'd drive it so the last two years I've driven for him indoors and we've had no luck but we've had a ton of fun so um, got a good group of guys behind me, um, my buddy, Greg Martin and Eric Sherman, they go down and Derek and Daryl's brother and my dad, and you just, uh, make the most of it. Um, indoor racing, it's perfect that it's kind of headquartered down in Atlantic city. Uh, that's their marquee race, but, uh, it's perfect for that deal because indoor racing is just a gamble. Everything about it is a gamble. It's just skill and, and speed is important, but pure luck just plays into so much of those races. And, uh, it's a cool deal. Um, generally, you leave. There's one guy that's happy, and there's, I don't know, 24 other in the feature that are upset, and you know, another 25 or 30 that didn't get to race are all upset too. So, very few people I think walk out of there generally happy. But it's just, uh, it's a different form of racing. It's something I enjoy. Um, I've kind of bounced around. I've raced a bunch of different cars, and I honestly, I love racing TQs. So, it's a cool deal. Glad I get to do it. Hopefully, next year we have a little better luck. That's for sure. Yeah, it's um, it's very interesting this TQ thing. So 
as far as I'm aware, at least to my knowledge, like it's they run TQs at Wall Stadium on the smaller track, but you don't see a ton of TQ stuff running throughout the year. And this is this indoor gig is kind of when it like comes to shine and it brings a lot of asphalt guys and then it brings the dirt guys too, where it's like this kind of like an all star compilation of drivers where it's real neat because, you know, as well as I do, well, maybe you with handling some of the asphalt stuff through Big Now, because I know you guys sell, you know, different types of tires and stuff there, but it's very segregated when it comes to dirt. You know, dirt guys hate asphalt, asphalt guys hate dirt. You know, it's a big thing. And to have this one mini series that brings everyone together is kind of cool where it's, um you know, you kind of get to see the talent from both sides of it all come together. Yeah. When I, when I started running TQs back in 2012, um, that was one of the things that kind of made it interesting for me. And one of the reasons why we enjoyed it, because like you're saying, you know, you're, you're racing against dirt modified guys and sprint car guys and asphalt modified guys and light model guys and TQ guys. And like, there's just so many different, there's so many different aspects of racing that all come together during the winter and in cars that are a lot of what we race now, you know, dirt modified, they're, they're cookie cutters. Pretty much everybody's got the same stuff and in sprint cars on dirt, same thing. They're all pretty much the same, but the midgets indoors, man, that's uh, there's still a little bit of ingenuity there. Um, Mark Laffler's kind of got a cookie cutter deal now where a lot of the good cars are on his or uh, now recently uh, Ricky Kluth and Ulrich's cars are pretty good. But for the most part, there's still a little bit of ingenuity and guys doing different things. And it's just like I said, it's just a gamble. Nobody there is bad. They're all good drivers and they all come from different aspects of their sport. And it's cool to to go into that and kind of see where you stack up against the rest of the deal. So um, I enjoy it. It's it's a lot of work. Uh, the tire work sucks there, you know grind of tires between runs and um a lot of your whole weekend comes down to time trials and time trials are set up by final practice and if you go out too early in final practice you get a bad time and you go out early in time trials then you're kind of behind the eight ball so and you know god forbid somebody lays down oil or water and before you go out and ruins the track it's just there's so many variables indoor racing it makes it really tough but it's cool uh, i've met a lot of great people and, and I actually a lot of the Western New York contingent um, that I've known way prior to even doing indoors, you know, guys that I used to race go-kart with, uh, Sean and Andy Nye and Jonathan Reed and Bobby Holmes, Eric Rudolph, like a lot of our Western New York guys that go do that indoor race, we've all been racing together since, you know, since we were kids. So it's kind of a cool deal. Uh, I enjoy it. And I think there's people that, that are into it, that, that love it and think it's awesome. And I think that the rest of the world kind of thinks we're all crazy, but I guess you get to choose which side you're on. Oh yeah. I mean, I think you're all batshit nuts putting on a helmet and going as fast as you guys do on any type of surface. I mean, that's definitely not for me. Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, looking at some of the stuff that happened in AC this past year. And if, I think everyone saw the, the photos of, uh, who was it? Billy Jr. Mahaney were, out there welding something outside of a sandwich shop or something just on on the street you know just doing this this car work and using someone's power and all this stuff it was real wild but that's what it does come down to and you're right the tire thing guys are in and out doing tire stuff all day long and the fumes man woo! 
can't get enough of that. But um, yeah, it's it's nice though because for those who don't have the ability to go down to Florida, fans or or drivers alike, and to have this little thing going on right there in that prime January time and then right around motorsports and then things kind of pick up from there. So it's, it's a nice little thing for those of us need to get a fix, you know, and AC's turned out to be an awesome event. I mean, uh, anyone who's been down there can tell you how much fun it is outside the racetrack, let alone being in there with watching the show on a Friday and Saturday. So yeah, it's a nice little deal they got going on and, it seems like more and more people keep showing up, drivers and fans, and it's a it's a real cool deal. Yeah, I, I don't have nothing but good things to say about the whole indoor series and Lenny and uh, Davey and Danny Sammons. You know those guys, they're racers, and they uh, they definitely put on a. It, it's kind of it's almost like WWE. Like you walk out to the music and the lights, and the, it's you get in there and you're all they're all like gladiators, man, just knocking each other around. What's funny is. Nobody drives clean indoors. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We all do stuff that doesn't fly outdoors for sure. But nine times out of ten, we get out and we shake each other's hands or fist bump, and it, it is what it is. You you know you know what you're getting into, so you kind of just gotta understand that. All right, I'm slow. I'm in this guy's way. He's gonna move me or vice versa. So it's uh it's a cool deal. And like I said, I, I really enjoy it. Um, Hopefully, hopefully next year we can get the Gremlins out. And it's been two years now. We haven't we haven't finished a feature. Uh, the only one we haven't qualified for, I think, was last year at Syracuse. Uh, we were just bad at that show. And then this year at Atlantic City, I knocked the wall down on the B the one night. But um, every race we've made, we end up just either crashing or having stupid mechanical problems. So hopefully we get those Gremlins all patched out, and uh, next year we can run a little bit better so yeah just keep watching a lot of the old school footage from bristol and martinsville back in the day on how to perfect the <laughs> bump and run and you're perfectly fine <laughs> Those, i tell you the the asheville modified guys always had a leg up on us um tc was the man when it came to indoor racing but um a lot like earl paulus and, and even eric Rudolph, he's, he had a bunch of asheville experience before he got into dirt real serious those guys that run the asphalt mods, they, they can just they not be dirty. They just know how to get you out of the way enough and, you know, charge the corner a little harder where us dirt guys generally we're not used to that. So um, it's cool. It's a cool deal. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, you bring up running go-karts when you were a kid and let's kind of go down that, that path here where, you know, go-karts, I didn't know we're such a big thing in Western New York. To be honest, I don't, it's weird. I went to college in Western New York when I wasn't involved in racing. And now I learned all this stuff about how big it is. And, um, you know, how did you get started, you know, and what led you to the path of the dirt mod side of things? Um, so like most, I'd say young racers, my, my dad was a stock car racer and, heavily involved in it for a bunch of years and then i was born and he kind of got out of it so um we still you know pretty much every friday i can remember we were at the at rational speedway watching so it was only a matter of time before uh i think 94 he raced a go-kart just to try and understand it a little bit better so when i was old enough in 95 to get behind the wheel that it was you know he kind we we were at least starting you know not completely green um so I think 95 or 96 is when I started. I was five or six years old. Just kind of, you know, racing a 
it's kind of local dirt track, Ransomville, uh, Merrittville. There's a track a little bit south of Buffalo, Langford area. Uh, there's an asphalt track down that way too, Bliss. Um, did that kind of just the local stuff until you know, probably 2003 or 2004. And then we started traveling, racing pavement, national stuff. Um, and doing a bunch of indoors kind of in the meantime. And then 2005 and 2006, we were on the National Pavement Series, racing, traveling all over the country. Um, that was pretty pretty awesome to do that. You know, 15, 16 years old, racing Florida, North Carolina, and Indiana, racing all these places against a lot of a lot of guys that have made it a lot farther than myself. Um, just you learn a you learn a lot about you know racing, racing against really good people like that. So when uh, 2006 was over. It goes 2006. Yeah, uh, we were at the time sponsored by Original Pizza Locks. Okay. Who, I don't know if you, and pretty much everybody in this area had, you know, some sort of sponsorship, or he sponsored the series they're racing. Uh, Bob Cardova was really, really instrumental in, in so many people's racing careers at that time. Um, he helped us out a bunch for a few years, letting us do the national national pavement stuff. And uh, at the end of 2006, he was kind of getting out of the sponsorship deal. Um, so we lost that and kind of had been racing at this point for over 10 years locally and stuff. And I was 15 or 16 at the time and just didn't really, I wanted to go stock car racing, but we didn't have the money to be honest. And we sold all our go-kart stuff. And my dad said, well, the option is either we're going to race go-karts again, or we're going to move to the street stocks at Ransomville. And I wasn't super keen on it, but, um, the car that he had lined up, he wanted to buy was pretty much the nicest car in the area so i guess when when the option is either race go-karts again or race the best street stock locally all right we'll do that and um so 2007 uh we started racing street stocks here at ransomville and like i said my dad had raced since the mid 70s and a bunch of his buddies who worked on the car his cars were going to help me and uh my uncle john was a local engine builder so he was going to build the motor pretty much the stars aligned to have a pretty awesome season in 2007 um and we won the championship the rookie, our rookie year and uh kind of just by fate one night we met a guy in the pits who was super excited about the race car and wanted to sponsor somebody and he ended up buying our street stock at the end of the year um and we bought a, a sportsman car and kind of teamed up and he ended up buying us another car so we had two sportsman cars in 2008 and that's when we started racing sportsman here at Ransomville and uh, had a decent season the first year, and then the second year we won the championship and followed the Dirt Car Sportsman Tour. And actually, we won the uh, Land of Legends Canandaigua Championship that second year. And third year, we had another good year at Ransomville. I think we won that and won Syracuse in the Sportsman. And then after that, we moved up to Modified. So it was uh, it was crazy, you know, from 2006 racing go karts to 2010 racing modifies it was it, it happened really really fast so it was uh very fortunate you know at, at such a young age to get hooked up with uh you know first off to have the support of my family my, my mom and my dad and my uncle john building motors and all and all our good friends that were helping us at the time and then obviously all the great sponsors and stuff was kind of allowed it all to happen and just those few years it's amazing you know for where we started to where it ended up it was pretty awesome and 
very, very fortunate to have that success at, you know, especially at such a young age. Yeah. When you started thinking about moving on to this street stock, you know, when that whole transition made, were you a big fan of the modifieds at that point in time? I mean, a lot of great guys have come out of Western New York, of course, and I'm sure being even a go-kart race car driver, you're still aware of what's going on in the higher ranks, right? Yeah, um, pretty much since the time I was old enough to understand it, I wanted to race modifieds. Uh, you know, since the time I was a little kid racing go-karts, all I ever wanted to do was race modifieds. And then, you know, when I got a little bit older and like sportsman or whatever, you know, when I was 12, 13 years old, that's all I want to do is run an open wheel car. And it was like, it just so happened that that wasn't possible. Right. <laughs> I, did, I did not want my aspirations at, you know, 15 was not to race a street stock, but uh, I'm very glad we did. You know, we had an awesome year. You know, I was junior, you know, I was junior in high school. I think at the time, like my buddies from high school are helping me you know, work on the cars. And um, it was definitely like, it wasn't the stepping stone that I wanted to take, but it was one that was very important to actually make it to the next one. So I'm, I'm glad we did it. You know, if we would have went right to sportsman, we might not have had the success, uh, you know, and with decent success, you kind of learn, you know, what, what to do and what not to do. You know, if, if we would have went to sportsman and struggled for a couple of years, I don't know if we, you know, if everything would have worked out the same way. Cause you know, when you when you're winning races, it, it kind of draws the sponsorships and more more fans and all that stuff. So, you know, running that street sock that year definitely helped us gain sponsorship and kind of gain some momentum and then kind of that natural progression to the next step. You know, we, we didn't stick around. We didn't hang out in street stocks. We moved right to sportsmen. You know, we did struggle for a little bit. And, you know, it, it takes it takes a while. The, the jump to modified was even tougher. Um, definitely very humbling. So just that natural progression from one, you know, one class to the next was, I think, a very important step. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you mentioned about running the national stuff with the go-karts and you said a couple of guys went on to bigger and better things. Any names we would recognize? Um, my first national pavement race, I punted Kevin Swindell out of the way for a top 10. <laughs> that is, that is the truth. Um, that actually that first race, he wasn't in my division that race, but Trevor Bain was racing with us. Um, one of the guys that raced against a lot in the pavement series and juniors was Jacob Wilson, which might not be familiar to everybody, but he's a very, I'm going to say prom, pretty prominent non-wing asphalt sprint car driver from Indiana. Um, and also like the winged, I don't know if you'd ever watched the must see TV series on, he goes on Mav okay. winged asphalt, winged asphalt sprint cars. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of go-kart guys that I would consider some of the best drivers that I ever raced against that never actually moved to stock cars. Um, gentleman by the name of Kerry Parnell, which if you follow NASCAR much, you might know, but their family owns a Goodyear deal that does a lot of the, the NASCAR races. They like install the tires at all the NASCAR races. Oh, cool. He was, he was probably one of the best guys to ever race against. He was so smooth. He won quality one time trials every single time. Um, down in bliss, New York, uh, there's two, two brothers, Bobby and Wayne Baker. They used to win like every single national race in seniors. Um, Bobby never raced a big car ever. 
until Atlantic City, I think, maybe 2016 or 17. Wow. He went down there and qualified like top three and ran good in, in Atlantic City in a TQ. Like never raced a big car ever. Like <laughs> there's a there's a lot of guys like that that just never really moved up. That back you know back in the day were were really really awesome go kart racers. So oh, there's yeah. a it's a weird it's a weird uh, deal go kart racing because you have to be so smooth. So a lot of times those guys, you know, they get into the big cars and, and like the Bobby Baker deal, like they just naturally pick it up right away. You know, they just understand the cars and how to be smooth on the gas and the brake and the steering wheel. So now are you guys, are you talking about running go-karts on dirt or asphalt or both? Um, so locally here at Ransomville and Maryville and stuff, it was dirt. Um, but like the national tours that I raced was on pavement. Gotcha. And then, when we raced indoors, it would be just like your uh, Atlantic city where it's like the syrup down okay. uh, concrete. So that definitely helped me, you know, when I, I mean, still helps me learn to race on different surfaces and different styles, of, you know, different classes of cars and carts and stuff. So we've uh, definitely had a fair bit of different, different types of racing that we've done over the years. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Like, I was never around go-karts that just, you know, when I first started to go into the races, I was going to, you know, Grandview, Big Diamond, Penn National, watching Modifieds. That was just what it was. And again, I've never raced, so I've never been around different ranks like that. But now you hear, I hear a lot of guys, Jeff Strunk, Doug Manmiller, they all ran go-karts back in the day. Hell, Doug will still tell you to this day, you know, he beat Jerry Nadeau for a big title back in the day. And of course, Jerry went on to race some NASCAR stuff for Hendrick and for Dan Marino back in the day. And uh, it's just wild to hear go-karts are still out there. They're definitely still, you know, people are coming out of those ranks for sure. But it's like back in the day, everyone ran a go-kart. There wasn't quarter midgets back then, at least that I'm aware of. So that was basically everyone's stepping stone. So, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. In our area, there's no quarter midgets. It doesn't really. There's, uh, man, I don't even know where the closest track track would be. Maybe Poughkeepsie, the other side of the state, or something. So it's all dirt oval, a little bit of asphalt, but mostly dirt oval. Right. Um, and even down by you guys, you got uh, slingshots and micro mm-hmm. sprints down at the you know action track and stuff. Where up here, we really don't. Lime Rock's our closest track, which is about an hour from here. Um, but for the most part, it's all. It's all go kart stuff um, in our in right here in our area. Um, in for a while, it was actually kind of fading out, um, and then I mean, recently the last few years, it's really taken off here locally um, at Ransomville. We're, now we're getting back to nearly 100, 100 go karts a night on a Thursday. So wow, um, that's one hundred and ten percent good for the big car track too, because you know eventually those kids, not all of them, you know if a quarter of them move on to something else it's good but you know that 15 or 20 that do move up to something else you know that's just feeding the big track on fridays which in recent years has been i mean every local track i think is kind of not where they want to be for car counts so right having having that stepping stone you know from you know learning the go-karts into, into stock cars is huge oh my god yeah yeah that's um you know it's like a farm system in a sense in reality i mean those who can move up and are able to handle a big car or have the money to get themselves into a big car yeah to be able to say well we've raced here for so many years we'll just keep racing here on the big track now um 
so one thing I definitely want to get into, I know you and I talked about this in Atlantic City, but, um, you know, every, I think everyone that has seen a modifier at some point in time have seen the footage from the melee at Bransomville with the rain. Um, and you had a good vantage point of that whole incident. So uh, run us through exactly what happened with the big pileup. May 13th, to, I think it was 2011. Would have been my rookie year in modified opening night. I qualified, I don't know, I think we were rolling off like seventh, and I went down in the first corner and stepped on it a little bit and lost a couple spots. And we come down the back straightaway and we're full tilt, come off of turn four. And at this point, I, like I said, I lost a couple spots. I might have been 10th or 11th. And I'm watching up ahead of me, and I watched the leader sail it straight into the fence was Chad Brockman. And I think second was P. Picknell, and he's in the wall. And I'm like, at the starter stand at this point, just watching guys start going over the wall and spinning out. I'm like, what is going on? And about that point, I was smart enough. All right, we're going we're gonna to scale, scale the throttle back a little and see what happens. And I stepped on the brake, and I swear the car picked up speed. It was just straight. It was just like black ice, and I just went straight into the pile. Um, it was it was a weird night. We knew there was weather in the area, and Ransomville, where it's located between the two lakes and the escarpment, a lot of times it'll rain like in a horseshoe around us, and a lot of times it'll only rain right there. So it was one of those nights where it was you could see thunder or you could see the lightning in the distance all over, but it wasn't raining. So we're all right, we're going, and then it, all of a sudden it downpoured in turn one like just in turn one because it wasn't raining on the back street at all. <laughs> so we had a full lap of, you know, get up to speed. And then we come you know under the start finish line for the first lap, pull it up. And it was, it was, it was on at that point, which terrible to, I mean, it's never good to happen, but it was opening night of the season. And I'm going to say at least two or three people didn't come back that year just because they rode off brand new cars and, I think somebody did the math on it. It was over a quarter million dollars worth of damage between, I mean, 20, 24, 25 cars piled up into that corner. So, Oh yeah, that of, was brutal. A bunch of which were, you know, over the wall and flipped and bent frames. And it was, it was pretty, it was pretty ugly. Thankfully, uh, everybody got out safe. Everybody was, you know, nobody was injured in the deal. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things that now, anytime that it's, questionable or if it's sprinkling um you know you're definitely got that in the back of your head going into the corner well hopefully she's uh she's not iced up like it was that night yeah i mean ironically same type of thing happened at the centennial at orange county which of all the nights that they've run a race it had to happen that night and i was sitting in turn four it wasn't raining we knew it was coming but it wasn't raining yet but it must have been in turn one and everyone goes it's absolutely insane when that happens because these things just you're like you said it's black ice you can't do nothing yeah i mean i'm glad i wasn't the race director for that deal i mean i'm glad i wasn't involved in any of it because yeah we've all seen that video and those videos and the images from that night like it was great matt williamson got the win and win for them and that crew and everything but i can only imagine what anthony and matt shepherd and all these other guys felt like, you know, because the right thing to do, I think, was how they played it out. Because it wasn't anybody, it wasn't, it was an act of God, you know, it wasn't, 
nature nature took over there it wasn't like the track had anything they could do but right man that had to be that had to be a tough decision to make like all right yeah no nobody's getting backup cars nobody's fixing that stuff it is it is kind of is what it is oh yeah it was um but again like we're hey we're both race directors into into extents here and it's one of them things where you don't have a there is nothing you can reference to go okay in this situation we got to do this and you got to think on the fly and make what you think is the best decision. And I think at that point, there ain't one. <laughs> it's a lose-lose. You're screwed either way. However you're going to handle this, you're screwed. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, it happens, too, with tracks that rain out on lap five and they refire up the feature. But, you know, like the next week or whatever, but. The guys who wrecked on lap one now can also repair all their damage. And, you know, there's no book on how to do this job or what calls to make. It's it's tough at times. It definitely is. Um, You know, and speaking of that, I know you've been doing the race directing with the the go karts at Ransomville now. How's that been going after the first year last year? Um, it was good first season. I would say I learned a lot. Um, like kind of like you said, sometimes you're in those situations where there's never the right call. And being that I've been involved in the sport for 25 years now, like I understand why parents are lined up yelling at, ready to yell at me at the end of the night. <laughs> but at the same time, you always got to make the call that's in your heart that you feel is right and on the fly you only have seconds to make that call you know whether it's putting somebody tail or putting the yellow out or you know whatever it is and somebody's always going to be upset about it but you got to just think what's the fairest the fairest decision um there's no there's no real handbook on it you can just go by what the rules say and and what you feel is right um and and like i said some some nights there is some parents that are upset about it but usually after you talk to them and you kind of understand well this is i didn't do it for that reason i did it because of this you know this is this is how we've done it every week and i can't make an exception and but other than that i mean the kids are awesome you know watching them go throughout the season you know especially like the novice the little five six-year-old kids that most of which barely can talk let alone race they start the year and you know, they're learning the flags and what's going, what's stop. And by the end of the year, they're having photo finishes races. And that, that that's the cool part. That's what I enjoy. Uh, my neighbor and shop mate, uh, Greg Martin, is the flagger. He's actually a modified racer at Ransomville, one of my best friends. He's the one that kind of got me the deal. I shouldn't say got me. I'm, he's the one who made me do the deal. So uh, <laughs> I blame him for a lot of it. But, uh, you know, him and, and Brett Pollock and Parm, Atwell, everybody at the Speedway, they, they're willing to, to listen and take any sort of advice me and Greg have to give. And, uh, you know, Greg's actually put a lot of effort into the schedule and stuff this year that uh, the go-kart program is really getting pretty pretty awesome. Um well, this year we're going to transponders, which is going to be great. It's going to speed the process up and make sure we don't have any mistakes. And, you know, I'm just uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it this season. Uh, I think after a full year, year of understanding it and kind of what to do and what not to do and, you know, getting to know the, get to know the racers and, and their crews and families and everything, uh, I think this year is going to be even better. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I'd rather be the race director of – 
you know, in your situation, I'd rather be there because you get to see the pure excitement of these kids when they win and they're not racing for money They They haven't, you know, no a lie, but Matt Shepard's victory lane interviews are a snoozer because he's done it so many times and he's like, oh, this again. But, you know, a five, six, seven year old that's winning for the first time is going to be so excited. He's going to like piss himself. I mean, that's got to be just raw emotion. That's so, so cool that you get to experience that. And, you know, if these kids do move up and move on and do greater and better things in racing, you know, you can say that you were a part of that beginning and that's pretty cool too. So, um, no, that's awesome. You know, it's almost being a coach in a way too, where, you know, you have to educate these kids every week and it's not okay. I have 30 modifieds in my pits. These guys have done it a million times. I expect them to do certain things. You get to educate along the way and, you know, and progress their racing career. So that's always pretty cool. Yeah. It's definitely one of the, one of the highlights to the whole, you know, the whole deal is just, uh, like I said, especially with the, the little ones. Uh, we had a, a school last year, me and Greg brought the kids out, the novice, all the rookies, and they had their own day to get on the racetrack and we talked to them on the one ways and do all that stuff. So it, it really is, it really is special. It's, I, don't, I don't know, you know, where I'm going to be in the sport in 10 or 15 years if I'm still be racing or not, but it's kind of like that first step at, you know, what's what's my next move you know when i'm done racing and, and it was it was cool to get that opportunity in the go-karts um especially being that that's where i came from so uh i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna do it for however many years or if i'm gonna move on or you know get into big cars i, I don't know but it's definitely a it's a nice nice start to the next chapter that's for sure i'll just remember and probably about five years, that could be you as the parent yelling at the race director too. So just keep that in the back of your mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, thankfully, all the parents are most of which are uh, very cool. And like I said, anytime they're mad, usually by the by the time I had a chance to explain myself, we're it was over with. But uh, I understand. You know, I've, I've been around my whole life. It's all I've ever done is racing. Yeah. And. You know, my, my parents spent a bunch of money and we spent a bunch of money. So I, I understand where every parent comes from, especially if they feel, you know, they got a bogus call or if this kid spun them out or whatever. Like, I understand, I understand, like, why you get upset about it. Because everybody, everybody puts a lot of time and effort and money into all this deal. So it's just, uh, it's part of this, it's part of the game. Some nights I was the punching bag, but most nights I left, still left with a smile. So. It's all that matters, man, is the end of the night, making sure that you're not going out there with, you know, a bulletproof vest on trying to beat off everyone <laughs> trying to come at you. So, nope, I get it. Um, so diverting our conversation a little bit to Bicknell, um, you know, I got a chance to go up there last year with Gary Butler and was very surprised to see you are working at Bicknell on the U.S. side. How did um, you end up working at Bicknell? And now you've been there for quite some time. Um, so I was a auto mechanic for you know, eight, eight years, probably at uh, Tim Phillips garage, uh, Grand Island, which is not far from Bicknell's. Every once in a while on lunch break, I'd stop over to Bicknell's and get tires or torsion bars or whatever I need to pick up. But, uh, um, Tim, Tim was very good with my racing and actually I've driven his, his son's sprint car and he was my uh, crew chief on when I was doing sprint cars for a while. But, uh, I don't know. I, I seen there was an ad for 
working at BRP and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I guess I'll see what this is all about. And it kind of went from being, uh, all right, answering phones and shipping things to now I'm doing a lot of tech support, um, building shocks for customers. We've assembled a couple cars there, but not too much at the U.S. store. But basically, it's answering phones and helping people with setup problems and building shocks and stuff. So it's kind of weird how it all, it all happened. Originally when it started, you know, it was just a warehouse job, but, um, Tim Jones, who is, would be Pete McNell's son-in-law, he owns the U S store. And uh, when he took over and went from basically just being a warehouse to, he wanted to do more with it. So, um, that's why now we're pressing tubes in and, uh, like I said, building, got the shock business kind of started up there. and Just one thing led to another, and we're doing more and more at the U.S. store now. So it's kind of cool. Everybody there is racers. Um, so anybody that ever calls, anybody that answers the phone is going to be able to help you with technical support or setup or, you know, whatever problems you're having. So we're all, all, all buddies, and we all, two of the guys race sports and against each other. So it's pretty much... All, all the time we're making fun of each other and talking trash about how good or bad we did during the weeks or the weekend. So it's a good time. Definitely. It's not the worst job. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You guys all, all seem to be a little relaxed and uh, enjoying yourselves. So yeah, that's always a good thing. And, you know, to be around other racers and to be able to help, you know, all the customers that are calling up, they're all race car drivers or owners or whatever, but you know, to be able to call up there and the guy you're talking to has been in those positions before as a driver, you know, that's always a key thing too. Um, so one of the things I took notice when I was up there was your picture of Billy Van Pelt. What's the story with you and BVP? And uh, I would assume there's a friendship in there and I'm sure some type of uh, idolization as well as Billy's an accomplished driver himself. Um, yeah, it was kind of a weird one. Uh, so I'm sure, you know, Doug Elkins, Doug's dirt diary mm-hmm. back in, back in the day, Billy must have been, well, my first race ever against Billy was 2008. I creamed his bumper. It was my first, I think my first sportsman race ever at Blackrock. He was running a, a sportsman car for somebody and he started in front of me and I didn't slow down going the corner and I caved his bumper in. So after, after the heat race, he comes over and just so happened, I don't even think he realized I was the one who did it. He asked us for a bumper. <laughs> we, had, we had one, so we gave him the bumper or whatever to use. It was kind of funny. Like I'd raced against him a couple times and my dad, my dad's a big snowmobiler and he knew Billy was cause he listened to Doug's dirt diary all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the one interview Doug did with Billy, Billy said he wasn't going to be racing anymore for, uh, I believe it was Ted White. It might've been Kevin Chilson. Okay. He lost his ride at the end of the season. So he's looking for a ride. And this was my, would have been my rookie year in modifieds. So going into the second year, we had two cars. Um, it might've been my third season. So my dad had the idea. He's like, well, you know, we're we won a couple races, but we weren't where we wanted to be. He's like, what about getting Billy and running our backup car? see if Billy wants to run our backup car at Ranceville a few nights. And I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. So my dad got, I don't even know how he got his phone number. He might've contacted Doug on Doug's dirt diary, got Billy's phone number and Billy came out and checked the car out. And 
Yeah, he was in, so he, he came up. I think he came up for practice tonight, and it rained out. He came up for week two or week one, and it rained out. And he finally, he might have only gotten, like, he was supposed to run like four or five shows with us, but he only ended up getting maybe one or two. Um, the first night he raced against us, he, he beat me at Ransomville, a track he had never been at, <laughs> and in my backup car. So we kind of, he helped me out and kind of got me squared away. And um, that first year, we we ran, like I said, a few times with him and just kind of became, became buddies. And ever since then, uh, you know, Billy's a really good friend of mine. And I look up to him a lot as a driver and, and a whole lot as a person. Um I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with him, but Billy's uh, never shied away from helping anybody when it comes to racing setups. He'll scale people's cars and build shocks for guys, and that's track. There's always people coming over and talking to him, and he's you know, helping other people and not even working on his own stuff. So Billy's just got a, got a huge heart. He's full of knowledge, and he's, he's a fun hell of a race car driver. So um, he ended up actually getting me hooked up with Patrick Hoops um, in the 10 car that I raced a little bit the last couple of years. And, uh, yeah, it was just uh, one thing led to another, and it all started from Doug's Dirt Diary, to be honest with you. That's so funny. Yeah, Billy's one of the nicest guys I have ever met in racing. And you're right. He will help anybody. And not saying this is the reason, but think about all the years of running Woodhall. Billy was by far the best car there, the best driver there. It really was him against the field. So I can only imagine that if you know you're that much more elevated than the rest, why not help your competition be a little bit better? It is only to make it more fun for him to actually have guys to be concerned about beating every week. But I think he really helped Woodhall develop everything it's got as far as, you know, from everything from the surface to the rules to all the competition, he's had a big hand in all of that. Yeah, and there's definitely nobody I've, I've ever witnessed that can get around that place like he can. So. Hell no. <laughs> the, uh, I was I caught some flack, especially the, like the guys at work were picking on me. So it was the COVID season or the, maybe the year after COVID when the world was still kind of shut down. I raced there quite a bit. And uh, people, oh, you know, you're racing at Woodhall, you're getting top fives on a big whoop. I'm like, man, you don't understand how tough this place actually is. Um, the, the competition there, although, yeah, you might you might not have oh, the shepherds and the freezings of the world. When we went to the short track super series race there, I think it was 2021. Uh, I think five of the top 10 was their local guys. Mm -hmm. Billy, uh, Joe, I think. Corey Costa, uh, Jake Jin or Joe Jin, like there was five guys in the top 10 with freezing and shepherd and all those guys there. So right. like those, those guys can get around that joint. Good. Um, and it was kind of cool because the rest of the world wasn't really racing that much. I couldn't go to Canada to race at Maryville and you know, it was the next closest thing other than Canada, but I didn't have a big block. So, um, I got to race there. I think we did five or six shows with Patrick's car. Um, we won the King of the ring, which was pretty awesome. I got to beat Billy and, not the the final, but the semifinal for King of the Ring, which is like a one on one, one lap kind of showdown thing they do for each division at at Woodhall. Mm -hmm. It comes it comes with a big trophy and a lot of bragging rights. So everybody wants to win the King of the Ring. So we we're able to do that, but never never did win a race there, man. Those guys are good. So 
Uh, we'll, we'll put that one on the, as a rain check. Hopefully we can get back there at some point and knock that one off the list. Yeah, just don't let Billy know you're going. He might come out of retirement just for that. So I don't think he is. Like <laughs> I I was kind of trolling him too. Like, oh come on, come up and race my car. Nope, I'm done. I'm done. You know. He he went out on top. He he won, I think it was six six grand or sixty five hundred bucks. It was a huge show that they had and he won it and he said, You know what? I'm done. I wanna I wanna be out on the on my top, not the you know, not go out finish seventeenth. So Yeah, there's a lot of guys that just can't let go and they're going to keep going and not making shows or DNF and, you know, Billy went out on top, just like he'd been 22 other years. You know what I mean? All them track championships is something definitely to be proud of. And he seems to be doing all right, keeping himself busy elsewhere. So yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of cool. You know, a lot of guys will tell you, you know, Oh, well, you know, I admired Jack Johnson and I admired, you know, Dick Tobias and all these legend, legendary guys. But Billy Van Pelt deserves to be up on that list, although he did have a lot of his success at not one of the top tier tracks that guys consider, you know, dirt didn't run there. So, yeah, BVP is one of the good guys that I'm glad I got to meet and talk to over the last couple of years for sure. I just want to point out the fact that both of the Billy, the kids went out on top last season. So yeah, kudos to Pouchy. I talked to him a little bit at Allentown. He seems like he's pretty content just kind of watching junior and, and, you know, BP three getting ready to go racing here soon. So, well, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of the story. If, um, you know, Billy junior explained this to me when, when the old man was on the road, doing the outlaw stuff in the Zemco car. Billy was getting started into running the slingshot and all that stuff. And Ralph, uh, the old man's dad, was the one that went around with Billy Jr. all the time. So now it's kind of a changing of the guards. Now Billy Sr. is going to help out BP3 while he's getting started, while Jr. is still doing his thing. So it's kind of cool. And, uh, you know, Jr. changed his number to the one, which is kind of also falls in line with what happened with the old man when junior started racing junior started running the 15 which is what the old man ran and then he went to the one so it, it's kind of like this awesome chronological thing going on yeah it's uh one of the perks of working at brp being able to talk to guys um you race against them but you don't generally get to talk or you hang out or nothing like that but at work, I get to I get to talk to guys on the phone like Billy Junior. Um, get to know him quite a bit, and uh, you know those definitely uh, don't get to race against those guys, but they are very important for our sport. You know the the family heritage there and all the success they've had. It's it's awesome to watch and you know to see now BP three is going to be doing it. So it's kind of kind of cool. We're kind of on different sides of the the racing world here. You know six hours apart, but. You know, I, I definitely follow, you know, what those guys are doing and everything down in Grandview and Big Diamond, like where you guys are. It's uh, it's unfortunate we're so far away because I'd love to get down there and race sometimes. But uh, hopefully, maybe this year we can get down for the Sixer or something. Money in the Mountains, one of those big shows. Money in the Mountains, two weeks away. Start getting prepared. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to make it this year. Maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of handicapped there because I don't have any spec stuff. 
Yeah, that's, running, that's your that's your biggest problem because everywhere is basically running spec stuff. So <laughs> yeah, I'm on I'm on W16s up here at Ransomville and Maryville. So we uh, I don't think you guys have a W16 in your rule package, and even if you did, it probably wouldn't be competitive. So yeah, yeah, you just worry about you know beating Rudolph and Williamson on a weekly basis, and uh, you know you have your own level of competition up there that you got to worry about too. So yeah, it's definitely uh forgot about Peepik now. He's like yep. 102, but still winning races. So, <laughs> Yep, that's the goat right there, right? Yep. So um, as we start to to wind this this episode down, um, you know, I'm guessing Ransomville, Merrittville are on your agenda for this year. What else? Anything else going on? Um, Not a whole lot. Um, so I run... Fridays in our own our own equipment at Ransomville, and then Saturdays I run for Randy Slack, um, Merrittville. That that whole deal kind of is just about the best possible situation anyone could have. I drove for Randy Slack and Bob Slack for a few seasons in the three RS at Merrittville, and in you know, we traveled a little bit. And uh, at the end of our kind of deal with the three RS, Randy basically said, you know, I got another car and a motor here. And as long as you uh, maintain it and bring it to the racetrack, you can race it. So uh, the last few years, pre COVID, we did it for a year. And then last year we did it uh, after the border opened back up. So we'll be back again this season running that miracle for Randy. Um, like I said, it's, it's awesome. Deal. I, I really can't think that whole family, Randy and, Kathy, Bob, Mandy, their whole their whole family just has been so great for me in my career. It's probably the only reason I'm still racing at the level we are, just the amount of support that they've given us. Uh, now Randy's grandson, Dalton, is becoming his own little good little wheel man, uh, running the 3RS, 358 stuff. So um, I'm gonna, we're going to sit back and watch and see how far the world takes him because I think, I think he's going to be really good. So Maryville Saturdays, and then it's not – we're kind of, like I said, we're kind of on an island out here with spec. It's either like 358, and that's about it in western New York, or big blocks of like Canandaigua, and I just can't afford to do that deal. So we have an open small block that we run. Um, we'll hit and miss just open shows here or there. Uh, last year, we did a couple BRP tour shows, uh, Lerderville, Tri-City, stuff like that. So I think the plan is to go to a couple of those this year. There's a big one at Sharon uh, for the Lou Blaney Memorial. So I think we're going to try and do that with our with our open motor, but we might, might run that four or five times. Um, one show that I'm really excited for this year is the Outlaw, two, or Outlaw 200 Fulton. Now that it's only, only small blocks? <laughs> yeah, so two years ago, we ran our open small block. We, ran, we finished 10th. And then last year I had a guaranteed starting spot for a race I won with the open small block, but it was it had to be dirt legal. So we had to run our W16 against the big blocks and specs and uh, started 40th and finished 10th. So uh, we were good. We just started way too far back. So then this year I heard uh, it's 358 only. So I'm like, all right, this is my race this year finally. And my uh, our firstborn child is supposed to come sometime that week so it's up in the air whether or not i'll be there but we'll see <laughs> we'll see what happens i got a chance to go up for that race last year my first time ever at fulton i love the shape of that track it's i'm not a big track fan to be honest i mean yeah i'll love going to orange county i'll love going to you know the old bridgeport five eights and 
And, you know, I've been to Fonda, I've been to Land of Legends, you know, I'm just, I like my small tracks. I like my three eights, my, my thirds, you know, even the bull rings. I love Accord, you know, places like that. But Fulton was like the perfect size track for me as far as it's not like, all right, they're in turn two. got to wait a second until they get over to where you are. You know, everything's visible. It was a great show. Uh, very impressive. 30 spots. That was, that was nice. That three RS has got to be the best looking white car I've ever seen. That it's a sharp looking car every time I see it. Um, you know, and Fuller's done amazing things in that car. Billy Dunn has done amazing things in that car. There's definitely, you know, top notch equipment there. And uh, I think you'll be all right. Yeah. Dalton, Dalton was running the 3RS mm-hmm. there at the 200, and yep. I think he ended up losing his brakes, but Kim, like, won his heat race, and yeah. he drew pull, and he ran up front. He, I mean, he's just slugging it out with the best guys there is. Um, his grandpa, Randy, raced everything from ASA cars to big rigs on, you know, super speedways. Um, his grandpa was the promoter at Cuga Speedway forever on asphalt deal. Um, his dad was you know, everything from go-kart builder to now modified builder. Um, they're super, super smart people. They have great equipment. And, and as you can see, I'm sure Dalton can drive. He was, since he was six years old, racing go-karts and stuff. So he's, uh, he's primed and ready to have all the success in the world. And, and the best part about it, the kid, he's so humble and he's so polite. Um, just i've known him since you know since they were 10 11 year old him and his little brother elliot um and you just you, there's very few people that you meet and like kids these days that are just as polite as as those two boys are so um his parents mandy and bob definitely raised him right so i uh i don't mind stepping aside from the 3rs in in watching the success that that kid's gonna have it's, it's definitely gonna be fun oh yeah i mean i I didn't know who he was when I was up there and kid drove like a veteran. So yeah, you're absolutely right. But, uh, man, as we wind this thing down, are you ready for the green, white checkered segment? Three random questions. Uh, I guess so. It's time for green, white checkered on the four wide salute. All right. Green flag question. Growing up as a kid, or even now, what is your go-to cereal? Go-to cereal? I'm not a big cereal guy. Um, even as a I kid, don't, even as a kid, I've never been a huge cereal guy. I do. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to beat the the Fruit Loops. All right, all right. Simple. Where every every color does not mean that it tastes any different. <laughs> yes. Was never a soggy marshmallow guy, so ah. Fruit Loops is fine. Even, honestly, even Cheerios are just like a little bit of sugar on them is pretty good. Yep. Or, yep. That'll do it too. White flag question. What was your first car? Not race car, street car. What was your first car? Uh, 1987 Firebird. Oof. It was not, not a cool one, though. It was a V6, but it was mint. It was from. Uh, Virginia. My uncle bought it and I bought it from him and I mean it had American racing wheels on it and I had to build my own subsystem in the back like so how long do we have? Go for it. Okay so 
I was racing street stocks at the time and went to get my driver's license and I failed it, but I already had my car. So, so I think we were, I, I must've been the street stock champion and I didn't even have my driver's license yet because when I failed my driver's test, I didn't sign up for it right away. And then in New York, you have to take a six hour training course or five hour training course, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, that lapsed. So I had to take it again. So my car sat there in like the side, side yard of my house for months and months and probably almost a year before I actually was legally allowed to drive it on the street. Um, once I got it registered, you know, I was really badass going to school. First day at school, it had flip up headlights. Uh, I didn't shut the lights off. So the lights died or the battery died. Mm-hmm. So I had to get a jump. And then I was well, going to see my girlfriend or whatever at the time on my way there. This is like day one of my car that sat outside my house for two years. Uh, things shut off on me. Was, that was weird. Yeah. Would start back up. Well, I had like a bad hat gasket. So it was like my dream car at, at, at 15, 16 years old. It sat in my driveway till I was 17. And I finally got to drive the first day the battery died and the motor blew up. So <laughs> but it hey, was short lived. At, second- at least you can say you had a Firebird, though. Like, I drove a Cutlass. Like, let's not pick and choose here, right? Yeah, but I drove it for one day and it blew up. And then, <laughs> then I got an S10, which that thing was a pile, too. But. Yeah, I've never. I'm, so I currently drive a 2003 Buick Park Avenue Ultra. Um, it's supercharged. It's got leather seats in it, and it's totally a grandpa's car. But, it, <laughs> but I paid eighteen hundred dollars for it. So there's that. Uh, ride my it, wife, ride it till it shits, man. Eighteen hundred yeah. bucks. That's it. <laughs> my my wife has a new well, she's a 2019 she's she's got the nice vehicle i drive whatever crap gets me from point a to point b as cheap as possible so there you go hey as long as it gets you to point a and point b that's all that matters right yeah, no car payment here there you go and your checkered flag question what was the one piece of advice you constantly gave your first class of go-kart kids as a race director um the obvious one would be uh always watch the flag man (laughs) just because we have we have one-way radios but the kids first off i don't know if you've ever raced with a one-way nine times out of ten you can't hear it or they fall out or the battery dies so the most most important thing that i could teach the kids you know that day was always make sure you're watching the flag man and some of them take it to heart especially like the real little ones they'll be passing the flag man like halfway down the straightaway with their head completely cocked <laughs> watching watching what greg's doing not watching the corner what's going on in front of them um but they definitely get it when, when they throw the red flag so we'll throw the red flag under when they're under yellow to get them lined up because they they'll just drive around in circles right, right. until you stop them to put them back in the right spots right so nine times out of ten when we do that the one kid's watching the flag man runs directly into the cart in front of them and it's just a train chain reaction so it's definitely the i mean you could tell them something philosophical about you know right Right, you know, get, you're here to have fun. Or, you know, give well, him real sound advice, but you yeah, know, let's be no. real, right? 
I always watch the flag, man. I can just picture, especially with the way parents are, right? So you have like a parent set up, I don't know, in turn two, and the kids driving through the turn and just staring at their parent the whole way through, like, uh oh. You you do have that a lot. I bet. Like I said, they'll be coming down the straightaway watching Greg or you know, watching their parents giving them signals and stuff and it's it's fun. It, I I hope uh you know, whether it's a boy or a girl or a child, you know, my wife's a, she teaches ballet and tap and all that stuff. She's a dancer. So if it's a girl, it's probably going to be going into dance. If it's a boy, it's probably going to be going into racing. But, you know, I hope I do get to experience that, even if it is a girl. Maybe we'll try the go-kart thing because it's one thing that the competitiveness and that, that stuff was awesome, like learning that. But just the time spent with my family and at the races and, and doing it as a group was pretty awesome so hopefully uh hopefully i get to enjoy that at some point in time and if i don't i'm just gonna keep on uh doing the race director thing and getting to getting to witness uh and, and try and help the young kids learn learn about the sport awesome man awesome well i appreciate you coming on the show wish you the best of luck this season i'm sure we'll be talking at some point in time and uh Man, congratulations again on, you know, the newborn coming some point in time this year. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.